I guess I'd like ask people who are climbing, like, which one would you prefer to be? Guy who like absolutely crushes all these like measurements but can't climb stuff? Or would you rather be the like game day player who is like standing on top of boulders? What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to the Power Company Podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. If you aren't following us on Instagram or at the Power Company Climbing Academy, I wanted to let you know that we just recently launched a course for climbing coaches called Coaching for Mastery, Building an Effective Climbing Practice. In this course, you can learn all about communication and feedback with your athletes, how labels and praise affect mindset, how to build effective drills and program design from a skill coaching perspective. I'm also going to accept a small mentorship group who I'll work with for the next few months as they go through this course. That may be full by the time you get this, but if it is, get on the list to be the first to know when the next one opens up. You'll find all of the necessary links right there in your show notes or go to powercompanyclimbing.com, click on the Academy tab. Okay, today's guest is a good friend of mine and power company climbing coach and data analyst, Dale Wilson. When we first got into the collection of performance data, I was the biggest skeptic on the team for sure. I wanted to make sure we did it right and that we had the right person, a data nerd who wasn't convinced that the data told the whole story. Real talk though, is it data or data? I don't know you tell me. Regardless, we hit the nail on the head. Dale has been a really valuable addition to our team. I appreciate his perspective on how to look at and use the data without getting blinded by it. And I think that you will too. Let's get into it. I don't even know if I actually know this story. Um, I know Blake kind of brought you in. Yeah. Initially, like we had been, we as coaches, at the time it was just Paul, Blake, Nate, and I, we had been arguing for like a year about what measurements we should get and why and what they meant and how to go about the whole thing. Um, we knew that numbers were going to be important in some way, but we didn't quite understand how yet. What is your memory of how Blake kind of pitched it all to you? Um, I think it started somewhere in the Facebook community at that time. Like you guys had talked about it a little oh, bit, that I think. might be right. Or I had reached, either that or I had reached out to you directly about it. And I think you guys had gotten tired of arguing about how it was going to go. I'm never tired of arguing. <laughs> just so you know. Maybe Blake was tired of arguing <laughs> and he was ready for it. That's possible. Um, but we had, we talked about it a little bit and I kind of described how I would go about um, like determining what mattered in that case from like mathematical standpoint. Yeah. Um, doing like general correlation analysis for once you guys get measurements. Um, and then kind of outlining how that would look like from, okay, we're going to determine what matters or what we're, what our like uh, variables of interest are. And then um, how we could then use that to be like informative for, to someone for training decisions. And when mm -hmm. we had talked about that, 
Um, you guys seemed psyched on that direction, but you also had like a million things about like more concerns, caveats, all that. And I think we just decided to like work through it as we went. Yeah. And I think that's, that turned out to be a really smart thing. You know, we, going into getting the measurements, we, I think we're putting a little too much, um, giving it a little too much power. Like let's, let's find what your finger strength is. Let's find what pull strength is. Let's find what aerobic endurance is, you know? And ultimately we decided that that those distinctions don't matter as much as can we get a measurement that correlates to climbing? Because when we were asking, let's measure finger strength. Okay, how do we do that? Do we use a 20 mil edge? Do we use an 18 mil edge? Do we use a 25 mil edge? Do we use a 10 mil edge? You know, does it matter if they're hanging the weight in front of them or in back of them or wearing a weight vest or pulling on a, a load cell or, you know, there are all these ways that someone might engage with getting that measurement. And we were like, how do we make this the easiest for people to do? So we get more people to do it. They don't have to have special equipment or go to a special place. And how do we make sure that we're measuring the thing we say we're measuring? And then ultimately we just decided maybe it doesn't matter if we're actually measuring what your max finger strength is or whatever. Right. I, I remember that also when we were looking at doing like the foot on campus measurements Yeah, and aspects of that, it's like, well, do we call this like an aerobic measurement? Do we call this like an anaerobic measurement? And it's kind of like pointlessly esoteric to throw them into those particular, right. um, particular buckets because it's never really, doesn't seem like it's ever really like one all the time and like the distinction is just not meaningful in terms of like what you're going to define. So like say that you got some test and it says that your aerobic capacity or something is low in a sport specific context. It's like, what does that mean? Like what, what decision does that lead you to do? Does that mean that you're going to do like, do you immediately think of climbing where you're like, okay, I'm going to do an aerobic session. Like, what does that actually look like? What does that mean? Right. And how that relates to the test can also like vary. What was what setting is the test done in? Do people have access to things that would be meaningful for that or would allow them to do that test? Um, especially in the like energy systems kind of concept. It's like, are you you can't just have people climb on like any climbing for a certain amount, like X amount of time right, or anything like that. It's different in every gym, you know, even every like set commercial board, like a person might have a, a tension board in two different gyms and it's going to feel a little different due to humidity or someone's angle is slightly off or the holds have been turned slightly wrong or whatever. Right. When was the last you time know. they were cleaned? Like right. how much, if you're on urethane, like when, how far down was it sanded after it was poured and like yeah. all this stuff. And it's like, how humid was it that day? There's just all this stuff that um, is not just adds to like variability to it. But um at the end of the day, it was just about what can we make that gives you some sort of direction to run as opposed to like, we're specifically mem measuring like aerobic this and like proving that point. I think for 98% of people, that's that distinction isn't going to matter. It's about giving them like a right. direction to run with their training. Right. And initially in all of these like arguments before we pulled you into this, um, I was probably the one who was most like giving the most pushback 
for the numbers and for the data and for the whole collection of it. Right. Not because I didn't see it as something that could be important, but more because I, I thought that maybe at some point people would start latching onto it too much. You want to introduce our, our third podcast <laughs> guest? Oh yeah, that's my son Eli. He's uh, talking more than usual. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eli's on a podcast. Of course, he's talking more yeah. than usual. How old is Eli? Eli's nine months old. Nice. So yeah, he's he's capable of interjecting, but his his points yeah. might not be entirely coherent. Well, he knows more about statistics than I do. So <laughs> totally fine to Maybe jump in, too. Eli. Feel free um, <laughs> to speak up. You can use my mic. Okay. And I didn't. I was just worried that people were going to try to draw these like direct lines of like, oh, I can hang this much from a 20 mil edge. I should be able to do this thing. A hundred percent. And I, and we see that. I, we see it all the time. I think that's like 90% of the discussion about like measurements in general. It's like, I've achieved this, like I can hang this. So thus I should be able to do this. I can climb this on the moon board. Why can't right. I like take this outside? It's like, it it's, turns into like an entitlement discussion. Like just because you yeah. can do this thing, you're not entitled to other stuff. The only way to like get those things is by doing those things. Right. And I mean, even even if you can climb V6 in Rocktown, that doesn't entitle you to climbing a V6 at Stonefort or, right. you know, Colorado Granite or The V6 next else. to the one that you did. You know, exactly <laughs> the on the field. same boulder. Yeah. It's, they're wildly different. Uh, needs for different boulders, different routes. Um, so it's really tough to draw those direct lines. And I was really worried about that. Blake kept pushing for, well, it gives us a good general place to start with people. And eventually that sank into my head and was like, okay, if we, if we can get a large enough body of this data and we can with some confidence say, okay, the vast majority of the climbers at this level can do this in our measurements um, and find these strong correlations, then I, can, then I can start having a better place to start with the training. Exactly. I, I think it comes back to uh, like, what is the purpose of like collecting data and doing measurements in the first place? What is, it's to look at your progress. And inform your decisions so that you can make better uh, like use of your time. Everybody mm -hmm. only has so much training time. Everybody wants to reach their goals. But if you understand what your weaknesses are, <laughs> whether, <laughs> whether those are physical, technical, um, and the measure and our assessment is really geared towards only the like physical aspect of these things. There's yeah. the entire climbing skill aspect of it is kind of removed in that case. Mm -hmm. So they're, we're looking at these physical aspects and they can give you a general direction that you should run at and help you make better decisions for it. It doesn't necessarily like, it's not going to solve all your problems and tell you exactly what you need to do, but it does in the case of like coaches using it to make decisions. If they see that someone's, um, let's give a good example here. Let's say that someone's um, like finger strength measurements are coming back like really high but they're like pulling strength measurements or relative to climbers at whatever grade they're looking to climb and they're pulling measurements around the low side. It's like, okay, maybe they can make the decision that their training should kind of let finger strength simmer for a little bit, keep it around, but not like super focus on it. And then maybe they need to focus more on like pulling strength, power, things of that nature. Right. It's not only a, an indication of 
what you need to work on, but an indication of what you maybe don't need to keep exactly. working on or keep putting a lot of focus on. You know, like like you said, we all have this really limited time that we can put into this time, energy, skin um, that we can put into training. So, what these assessments are doing and what these measurements that we're getting do is help us funnel that time into the right places. Exactly. Yeah. That's that that's ultimately the goal is just helping people make decisions as to how they should spend their time or helping coaches make that decision so that they can design a better plan for somebody mm-hmm. to get better results that help them. Something that that took me a while to wrap my brain around was um and actually I think it takes based on my conversations on social media, whenever we post anything that's measurement related, data related, um, it takes people a while, including myself, to wrap their brains around just looking for a correlation rather than saying, this is your aerobic capacity. This is your whatever. Why do you think it is that it's hard for people to wrap their brain around just this is correlated and why do you or do you at all think it's better that we do it that way versus trying to pin down exactly what it is we're measuring um i, th- I think it's nice to feel like you're right on I- online forums <laughs> i think that's a big part of it Factual. so it's like yeah it's really nice to just step in and be like you need to work on aerobic power or something like this right and it gives you like a feeling of control so that you can throw it into this bucket and you can feel like, okay, I'm making this decision about this. This is what I need to focus on. And I'm doing that. So if you can say like, if you can just throw it into that bucket, then people feel empowered by that. Mm-hmm. And then you can also, yeah, stun on people on our Climb Harder and be like, this yeah. is this, this measures that. And I know so much, listen to me. <laughs> exactly. It's like a, it's a feeling of uh, superiority or like expertise to say like definitively it's this. And but I think anybody that has been climbing for a while can say that like nothing's ever like that. Like say that you're like working on like a long boulder problem. It's like okay, um, do you need some aerobic component of that? Like for sure. But like, is that the reason that you're like falling? If you're falling in the latter half of it, like is your beta garbage? Um, are your shoulders like sagging halfway through? Yeah. Like, does you, it have? Are you just giving up because you don't understand how to climb fatigue? Yeah. Um, do you have the like mental toughness to like hang on and execute when you are tired? Like yeah. All the four by fours in the world aren't going to teach you that ability or yeah. and bring even, it back to that. Even just the like, if we're looking at just the physical components, like I I test out with really high finger strength. Um relative to what I want to climb. My finger strength looks good. But as soon as I go to grab tiny in-cut crimps, not the same. You right. know, way lower than the average climber. Like I, We don't have data for this. I'm totally guessing. But I'm, I've seen you know V5, V6 climbers who can pull on in-cut crimps that I'm like, I don't know how you pull on that. Right. You know? And and unless we're measuring every single grip position, every single hold type, uh, shoulder angle, I was gonna say, all are you the gonna things. Like, are you going to make sure that your like hips are completely sucked underneath right. it? Like, are you exactly. Gonna, like, do you have like, to pull through a like roof on it? Like, yeah, just because you present with high finger strength in our measurement 
doesn't mean you can actually leverage it in all situations. Yeah, it's like the measurement that we're looking at is 10 second, 20 mil max added weight in that setting. It's like yeah. unless your project is specifically hanging from a 20 mil edge with a certain amount of weight on it for 10 seconds, you're probably gonna have to figure out a little bit more than right. how to add 10 pounds to that. <laughs> yeah. We may have already covered it a little bit, but I'm curious as you know, you're the person who's seen every assessment that we do. Um, we, we do assessments for all of our custom clients. We also have mini assessments that people can buy kind of a la carte to supplement their proven plans or whatever they're doing on their own, uh, just to get an idea of where they're at. What do you think is the biggest benefit for people coming in and doing those? I think it gives people a direction to run. So I think um, like the I think the ultimate way or like probably the best way of like getting out of your own way if you're trying to like build your own training plan is to talk to an experienced coach and have them make one for you. There's like immediately like buy-in for that. Um, and you don't get to you don't have to deal with the like, oh, you're six weeks into the plan and then you like see something else online or you're not getting the results that you want and you suddenly like your mission creeps over into something else or you change direction. Like when you talk to a coach, it's like we're gonna lay out this thing, and you're gonna we're planning the hunt, we're gonna do the hunt, and then we're gonna like uh, check it afterwards and see how it went. And there's no way for you to really, other than like not doing it, there's no way for you to get in your own way mentally on that. When you're the next best thing that you could do is get like some sort of information that would help you define how you should spend that time and what that plan should look like. So if you go through your go through an assessment, you get a report on it. And it says that relative to people climbing at that certain grade, like your data is on the low side, you know that like this should be a focus for four to six weeks if I want to see improvements inside of this thing. Um, but I mean, you still have to then go through um, the critical thinking process on your own to say, yeah, say that you're climbing that you want to climb a particular V10 or something. Like, what does that look like if you're if the V10 you're looking at is something like uh, octagon control? <laughs> If the V10 you're looking at is something like Octagon Control, New River Gorge. Eli likes Octagon Control, apparently. I, I don't know. I don't think he's seen it yet. <laughs> he's, been, he's been talking mad trash about it. But. <laughs> Say that something like that. It's like three moves in a mantle. And it's like, okay, does your like uh, hangboard repeaters measurement maybe matter so much in that context? Right. You still have to like critically think through, like, is this the way to spend, <clears throat> best way to spend your time in relation to that goal? If you have a coach, they can help you with that. But if you're being your own coach, you have to do that work yourself. And having a little bit of information can like help with that a lot. Yeah. And that so. was that kind of leads me into what was gonna be my next question. Like, what are some of the dangers of getting these assessments done and then looking at this at this data and these charts that we give you? Um, and one of those is that, you know, say you're someone who is a boulder and your your project is three moves to a mantle and your you know your repeater measurement is really low some people are going to just knee jerk react to oh well I need to get my repeater measurement up I need to be doing all this endurance work and maybe that doesn't match your goals at all right um, so putting a lot of weight in these measurements in in that context is kind of dangerous for your goal. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, yeah, the burden of critical 
thinking is like never removed <laughs> no, no matter no. what you're doing. So, no, and I think that's a good thing about yeah. it actually, you know, like I, if we're taking that away from people, then we're not helping them stand on their own feet yeah. at all. Yeah. And we try to do that in the comments on the reports to say that like, to be like more general for it. But again, like the more that we know about um, someone's goals, the better that that feedback can be. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes if something's like a little bit on the low side, we'll have something in there to say that like, this isn't really like cause for concern. You shouldn't really be worrying about this. Or it's like, maybe it's a little bit on the low side, but something else is like a bigger issue for the goals that they're looking at. It's like, let this like, if this is on the low side, it's not that big of a deal. You need to focus like most of your resources in on this one thing and it'll pay dividends to you and your process. Yeah. I think that's the the biggest danger there is aside from just like seeing something's low and you're like, okay, I need to like just do this one thing. I think the next biggest risk in there is seeing that something's low and just training it in that environment. So say that mm. like, uh, say that your 10 second, 20 millimeter max hangs low. It's like low relative to um, people at the grade that you're looking at. And you're like, oh man, my max hangs low. I need to do more max hangs. I need to train my max hang. And it's like, yeah. if that, that's probably true. If you have like 10 minutes, like at the end of your warm up, like that is a really good time for you to do some like finger recruitment and work on that. Yeah. There, and there's different ways for that can that to look like, but what's probably going to be like most beneficial is also like grabbing holds that are similar to like whatever you want to get on right. that are challenging for you and trying to um, like work it in that uh, very specific setting that is closer towards your goals. Mm-hmm. You can still do that like basic off the wall kind of work like hangboarding and that's obviously a great way to pursue it. But again, the hangboard measurement doesn't entitle you to the grade or the problem that you want. So you still have to, again, do that hard work of going in, figuring out what it's like to grab those small holds, hang on them, pull through on them, all that work. Yeah, I, I think that's a big issue, actually, with a lot of the, the people who get really wrapped up in these measurements and, and their goal becomes to raise the measurement as opposed to send the boulder or the goal or whatever it was. Right. Um, is they in you know in pursuit of raising that measure they train that exact thing and this idea of just training for the test practicing for the test you know it's a we've got something like the NFL combine which is the NFL has a lot more money behind it they've been doing this for a long time trying to determine what are the the numbers, the stats we need to see for these athletes that is that are that's going to predict success in this league. Well, there are companies you can pay to prepare you for the combine and <laughs> and they'll spend six months or a year or whatever getting you ready for these specific tests that are gonna happen at the combine. And then you get this artificially high showing right. at the combine and then people regularly just fail in the league after posting these huge numbers. And they're very often, you know, Tom Brady's an overused example, but overused for a reason. He, <laughs> you know, tested really poorly at the combine, but then goes on to be Tom Brady. And one of the like uh comments from his like scouting card was like game day player. Yeah. And that's one of my like favorite things from that whole like Tom Brady combine NFL starting like story is it's like game day player if you could take like 
I guess I'd like ask people who are climbing, like, which one would you prefer to be? Guy who like absolutely crushes all these like measurements but can't climb stuff? Right. Or would you rather be the like game day player who is like standing on top of boulders? Yeah, absolutely. Like, there's nothing wrong with crushing your measurements or being psyched on training, but yeah, for, and, I, I mean, think if that's people, the goal, then great. Like, yeah. if you want to be really good at one arm hanging a 20 mil edge, practice that, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you want to be really good at climbing, the ability to hang a one arm on a 20 mil edge might end up being a part of that in some way, but it's not the ultimate goal. Right. Like we want it to be kind of a symptom that happens kind mm-hmm. of on it as right. opposed to like the, the sole thing that you're seeking out. Yeah. So I purposely, you know, after we get those measurements, if I see somebody with say uh, a finger strength measure on the 20 mil edge um, with added weight, if that measure is low in comparison to the the other climbers climbing at their grade i almost never have them just hanging with weight on a 20 mil edge for 10 seconds you know i switch up the protocols i'll have have them working on slightly smaller edges or maybe even bigger edges depending on their goals depending on them for different time periods you know sometimes five seconds sometimes seven seconds sometimes we do longer hangs and then we come back and test that 10 second hang on that edge. And if we've moved the needle in the right direction, great. If we haven't, we switch it up a little bit. You know, it's a, it's a measure I come back to relatively regularly. Um, but, but not a thing that I'm like, let's just practice this one thing and get better at it. And recently reading a lot of research on, on finger strength, um, hangboard based research something i've appreciated about it is that like in ava's studies um and in several others that i've seen their training protocols they're using almost never use the same size edge that they're testing on gotcha. um, which i think is a smart play so they're not getting that effect of just learning the test right so and you know finger strength is a or max hangs or whatever it is you want to call it are a a really mm, I don't know what the right word is, but they're an example where there's not a ton to learn about the test. And in a lot of these other measurements, there there's a lot you can learn about it. You know, For like sure. the campus endurance type measurements and um, the pull slap power slap measurements on the campus board you know you can learn techniques that are better to to improve that number but it's just an artificial improvement at that point right you know it gets really tricky and i think it's getting trickier and trickier let's talk a little bit about how how you look at the data that has been collected and how we output it to you know, look at the the comparisons between people and the charts that we've put out. Um, we're collecting it all via Google Forms. If you want to be a part of the data set, you know, if you're somebody who's interested in your numbers and you just want to input your numbers, I'll have a link in the show notes that you can do that. In fact, we'd love to have more women inputting their numbers uh, so that we can separate our data out for... Uh, male versus female. Uh, and then we also sell the mini assessments where you'll give them back a a report that shows how they stack up against 
other climbers who have similar goals or who are climbing at the same grades as you. Once people put the data into the Google form, you know, as, as far as I can tell, it just spits it out into charts that you hand to me. But what actually happens in the background there once you get that data in the Google form? So we um, ask people what their current max outdoor grade is, what their current um, like goal outdoor grade is. And from there, we then compare their current measurements against the distribution of values that we have uh, for those grades. So in this case, we'll say somebody's a V7 climber. That's their current max outdoor grade mm-hmm. in the past year. So we'll take, um, we'll sort that data out so that it's just our people who have reported V7 as their max outdoor grade for the past year. Um, we'll then look at that distribution. So if you're picturing like a bell curve or like a normal Gaussian distribution, that's like what we're looking at or similar to what we're looking at. Um, if we look at the probability density function, which will look like that kind of uh, bell curve-esque distribution, um, if we look at a probability density function for it, we can look at where um, their measurement is on the x-axis. So say that we're looking at um, uh, strength-to-weight ratio for max hang. If that range of that distribution is uh, from like, we'll say 1.2 to 1.6 or something like that. Um, we'll see where they fall in that. Um, so in that case, the x-axis is our actual measurement and the frequency would be the y-axis going up to that point. If So if we were to um, integrate the um, and find the area under the curve for that probability density function, um, ending at kind of where their measurement is on that x-axis, the area under the curve for that will be the probability of them being in that population, quote-unquote population. In that case, or sample really, we're talking about... Um, like the V7 climbers who have submitted their data inside of this group. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can then, that goes into something called a cumulative distribution function, which then takes um, same x-axis, but the y-axis in that case is, are those probabilities. So the probability for each, at each of those uh, like continuous variables, so in our case from like 1.2 to 1.6, um, what is the probability of somebody with each of those um, values being inside of that group? Mm. So... Um, for example, this is just a uh, like an example of like an ideal normal distribution. If someone was um, plus one standard deviation uh, above the mean um, inside of the distribution for a given grade, then the probability of them um, being inside that population would be like eighty four percent, something like that. Got it. Um, so that's what we're seeing when we uh, when you get that. Um, output for it we're taking that value in this case it would be like 0.84 out of like 100 100 would be like 100% probability of you being inside of that population Mm -hmm. again goes back to the problem of um, what is that population that's a bunch of self-reported v7s how many of those people have climbed the same ones or would they be able to do these other ones there's no way to say these things it's just a self-reported value yeah some of them may be v7 slab climbers some of them may be v7 roof climbers there's no such thing as a v7 slab climber (laughs) (laughs) and and everything in between there you know so v7 doesn't equal v7 all the time so it's always going to be thrown off a little exactly i mean it's the nature of grades but it's uh that's a little bit of the math behind how it works um we put into them those bullet graphs um which looks kind of like a bar graph laid on its side Mm -hmm. um 
I really, I think that was your idea initially. And the way that you put it was like, you wanted to see something that was like the attribute of like a character in a video game, something right. like that. Right. I think that's incredibly intuitive. Like if I'm talking about this stuff and it's, you're like, I don't know what that means. Some of you guys probably taken like introductory calculus-based statistics and you're like, I know exactly what this is and what he's mm-hmm. talking about. Um, but if you're like, I don't care about that, then bullet graph is still like, Super easy to understand if you think about it from the video game example. Right. And so we're, we're looking at, so we're taking their max grade and we're looking at where their, whatever attribute it is they measured, whatever measurement they got, where that fits in with their current max grade, but also where their goal lies. And right. we show where that uh, central tendency for that goal grade falls inside of that distribution as well. So all the attributes that we include inside of our assessments have shown really good correlation for that, uh, really good correlation to climbing performance. So for each of those, um, your goal, the central tendency for your goal grade is usually, if your goal grade is higher than your current grade, it's usually going to be higher in that distribution right. as well. Right. Um, so it's not there to be, again, not to like entitle you to say that like, if you get to this number, like you'll climb whatever your goal grade is, but it is to show is a good way to show that like, how far you have to go to get there maybe, or like some motivational aspect to it as to like, there it is. You can see where you are, where you're going, what everything else looks like, kind of the lay of the land and make some judgments on it. Yeah. And I, you know, to use the video game character metaphor a little bit, maybe take it too far. Um, (laughs) You know, you can have the, best video game character there is when you pull up that screen and you're looking at all your attributes. But if you're not good with the controller, you're still going to lose. 100%. You know? So it's a really similar situation to climbing. None of this entitles you to win. Yeah. It's just a, these might help you get there. And, you know, upping your power upping your finger strength or upping whatever it is you think you're raising by doing these exercises aren't going to entitle you but they might help you right so like i'm going to keep going with the video game metaphor because right, i like let's it let's do it let's do I'm, it i'm um, down to run it into the ground okay the only video game that i'm like <laughs> super good at is tony hawk's pro skater 2 like specifically tony hawk's 2 um so like let's say that like you're trying to like your strategy is going to be like linking tricks with manuals, something like that. Like you want mm-hmm. a character with like exceptional balance in order to do this. You do right. not want to have somebody who's like not good from a balance standpoint because your manuals are going to be hard to control. Mm-hmm. So the way that I describe it is that like uh, the higher one of your attributes is, the more you're likely to rely on that attribute in your style. So like if you're if you're into powerful bouldering, like it's you probably have uh, you probably rely on like really strong pulling strength, something like that. If you're Rodney Mullen, then your um, your balance is perfect. And, right. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, just to stick with that metaphor. And conversely, like if you're a slab climber, then like maybe maximum pulling power is not like immediately right. what's important to you. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. Something I I did um, last year sometime that I thought was re- actually really interesting was uh, Tyler Nelson had posted a sort of question on Instagram about um, continuous hang versus repeater hangs. And he was guessing that maybe the continuous hang would equal 
the repeater because there's not enough time in a 7-3 repeater to actually be recovering. And so I went to our data and we separated it for sport climbers and boulders. And I looked at, or people with sport climbing goals versus bouldering goals. And I looked at their continuous hang versus their repeater. And everybody's repeaters, you know, total time hanging uh, for their repeaters was quite a bit higher than their continuous hang. But sport climbers, the people who spend more time sport climbing, their repeater time was drastically higher than the boulders uh, in comparison to their continuous hang time. So we can look at things like that and see that these sport climbers are better at utilizing this three-second rest yeah. uh, in between hangs. Do we know why? No, we don't know exactly what's going on. But frankly, I don't think I need to know exactly what's going on. If I can, if I can come up with training stimulus that causes the needle to move in that direction, then great. I don't need to know all of the underlying mechanisms that are happening. Right. And in that specific case, it's like that immediately like intuitively makes sense because we think of sport climbers as having like more developed energy systems. Right. Like we frequently hear that they spend more time working and across the, across the uh, spectrum in terms of energy systems. But um, I would say like, again, it goes back to the, like what specifically like working under the hood there. And to your point, like, does it matter? Um, I think Tyler's uh, hypothesis is like an interesting one and it's interesting to go into the data and see like what mm. we have um, in relation to that. Um, and Tyler does want to know why it works. Yeah, he's you know? 100% and digging I'm, into And that I'm glad he wants to know why that stuff works. I For yeah. me, it doesn't matter as much. Um, right, yeah. Maybe once he understands why it works and we, you know, we learn some new things, maybe there are new training uh, methods that come out that make it even easier to train that aspect of it. But as of right now, all I know is I can experiment, try to move the needle in the right direction. Right. Um, I mean, like hypothesis is such a important part of like scientific method and improvement. Like you have to start somewhere with like a, with a guess based on what you've seen, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that's where Tyler was starting with that. I mean, that's how everybody kind of decides things and makes yeah. things and designs experiments. But um, I mean, frankly, that's how all of our, our entire assessment began. You know, we've, we've right. tried things and thrown them out because they were finding no correlation. So why right. continue to get these numbers? Um, so we're just guessing at maybe this will be an effective test. We think this is indicative of climbing ability. So let's test it over time. Let's see if we're, seeing a correlation or not and then we talk to you and if you're seeing a correlation in the data then it's a measurement that might be worth keeping right um i think like so much of like strength and conditioning has historically been based or developed out of like phenomenology and it's always like people in the field understand like seeing these things building on them and trying to understand them over time i, I think it's very rare that the that something's understood in the lab and then brought out to like right into the strength and conditioning field it's very traditionally like high performers studying them improving people's performance trying to figure out why that happens and then trying to understand the like mechanism behind that yeah i think that's a hundred percent how it works um i think it's 
in vogue, I guess, right now a little bit. To I, I guess people always do that for strength and conditioning a little bit in terms of like trying to extrapolate from studies and sure. other fields and all that. You have to do that, but um, I mean, yeah, so much of it's based not just in peer-reviewed research, right? And we'll and I, it, it's in vogue right now to like bring that up all the time, but again, it's uh, at the end of the day, it comes down to performance and like what right. works for people. And it's like if you have the most like scientifically derived performance method or training method ever, and you're not getting to the top of stuff, then like does it does it matter? And why should you keep doing that? Yeah, and I think that's a little bit of the danger in getting too complicated um, with the the measurements. There's part of me that's like, oh, I think this would be interesting to keep increasing this data set and all the things that we're measuring and collecting. Um, what can we learn from that? But then there's also the side of me that's like, this this whole side of of climbing needs to be kept really simple so that we don't get too wrapped up in the complicated nature of it. Right. I mean, yeah, I think it's super important to like keep asking the questions, designing experiments, and um, like developing a better understanding of it over time. Um, but I think, yeah, I think coaches have to fill in that role a lot and they can't rely obviously just on um like peer-reviewed research for it there's that angle to it but a lot of it again is explaining like phenomenology seen elsewhere yeah having having taken up the role of a coach you've been working with people on proven plans and a few custom plans um and we've talked about increasing that role where do the measurements stand in your like list of places to to look when you first start working with a person um i like i'd like to see like a report first to see where they're like generally at um to see if there's like any glaring weaknesses that need to be changed kind of making sure that we're like checking those like low-lying that like low-hanging fruit making sure that we're getting that um i think this but after that initial portion for that uh, I think one of the things that we should talk about is like the timing for like when you take assessments mm. as opposed to like sometimes you see it where it's like somebody does like a month of hangboarding or something and they're like I'm going to retest this and it's like I'd really steer clear of that kind of like frequent retesting mindset where it's like again you're focusing so much on this test or like it, it almost seems like you don't have buy-in necessarily inside of the like process yeah so um I would say that like I like seeing it at the beginning of that setup for like that initial assessment. Then like I agree, bud. Too um, too much about numbers, buddy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think like twelve. Then like maybe twelve weeks down the line, it's time to revisit that something like that. Like three or four months later, maybe it's time to retest at that point. But after like just working with somebody, I would want to see it up front, and then it gets shelved for a while. Mm -hmm. It gets moved back to that, and then from that point, we can do some design, but most important thing that I would say is seeing starting out is like watching videos of somebody climbing because it's still like if their goal is to improve at climbing I have to see where they're at like climbing wise right now how do you move what is the stuff that you gravitate towards even knowing like the specific videos that like somebody shares with me it's like those are their like usually their accomplishments or the things that they're most comfortable sharing yeah totally um one of the things I've found really powerful actually for some of my clients is when they start to get too wrapped up in the numbers, 
where they're like, I need to raise this number and I need to raise this number. Um, I'll, I'll wait until they've performed for a while and they've been, you know, they've done something. And then I'm like, let's, let's retest that number right now. (laughs) And oftentimes that number is lower than they expected. They just thought, oh, I'm performing better. So that number is going to be higher. Right. You know, and it's either the same place it was when they tested or um, sometimes lower, sometimes slightly higher. But then I can definitively say, look, you can perform at these grades without spending all of your time and energy on this one number. Right. And so I think that's a really interesting time to retest as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think. um, And it doesn't have to be the whole battery of tests. It can just be the. Let's get, let's look at this one measurement you were really concerned about and see where it's at when you're performing well, and then we know. Right. And to that point, um, like say that you have something where it's like we're just going to leave this on the back burner, train it every like ten days, two weeks, something like that, just mm-hmm. retouch on it. It's like the probability of you losing that ability completely or having like precipitous drop off on it is very small. Right. So again, it's like if people are people are nervous about losing what they're like proud of, but it's about that buy into the program where if you are trusting this process and you're believing in it, like you need to either have um, like confidence in your coach's decision or confidence in your own decision from your program design to say that um, like, I believe that this thing will stay this way because they said so, or I said so to um, like keep that attribute around. So you should be comfortable with like, I am decent at that. And you like own that and that portion, like put it out of your mind, focus on the work that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way, yeah, when the program's, when the program's done or when somewhere in the next performance phase where you want to just check up on what your previous like low points were, you're not so worried about it. Maybe then by the time that you're gearing up for your next um, like training cycle, you can remeasure it again and usually it's right around where it was. And again, you didn't have to worry about constantly rechecking all your stuff to like validate that you're a V7 climber because your repeater's measurement is at whatever it is. Yeah. Like... It just seems like a lot of wasted energy to always be rechecking everything. Totally. <laughs> all the time. Like it's important obviously to seek out your targets and improve those things, but you also don't want to be like micromanaging yourself and yeah. so nervous about that. After like spending time looking at the the measurements and um, you know, listening to us all argue about them and and trying to figure out the best way to go about this and the language to use and all of it has your opinion of using measurements and climbing changed at all since we first started doing this? Um, not necessarily. I had the horrible misfortune of probably getting way into hangboarding training like too early in my climbing training yeah. career career. So I knew that I had like strength that I wasn't making use of in actual movement. Right. So I, I, from that experience, I had a pretty good idea that climbing is about a lot more than finger strength and whatnot. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to think of how I could say that it would has changed. My understanding of it's changed over these years. Um, I think one thing, one yeah, thing that was one. brought up early on when we were talking to you that that I don't think you had considered at the time is kind of like the the psychological component of getting these measurements. 100%, um, yeah. I, I've had a lot of clients who, when we first started doing these things, just collecting numbers, we were calling them tests. And 
Yeah. I had several clients do do one of the measurements and then say, I did horribly on that. And I'm like, how do you know? Yeah. You have nothing to compare it to. How do you know that was bad? You know? Because it was gotten, hard. Haven't gotten of course a report it was yet hard. or anything. They just you know? drop off and they're like, man, that was awful. Yeah. It's like <laughs> and and I would get people say, that was terrible. And then it's the biggest number we've ever seen in that measurement. Right. And I'm like, I once we started calling them measurements instead of tests, that has dropped off a little. But there are still people who I'm like, let's let's get some re-measurements. And they're like, oh, I, I, I'm not feeling great take right now. I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna rest for a couple of weeks. And you know, I'm like, that's, that's missing the point of this. Right. The point is not to wait and do your absolute best on this measurement. It's to, let's get the measurement in your everyday general life. And then we have a better idea of kind of where your baseline is instead of let's, let's practice for the test for a few weeks before we take it. Right. Yeah. I, d- I didn't anticipate people being so um, like self-conscious about it, I guess. Mm-hmm. I-, I guess in my mind, it's like. <laughs> Eli did. Eli knew. Speak up, man. He already doesn't like tests. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I didn't anticipate people getting like uh, so in their own head about it. Cause I, I guess I don't think of it that way. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's like a, a personal confidence thing or just how people like view themselves um, or how much value they put in like their achievements or yeah, it could be a, could be a bunch of things. It seems very personal. Mm-hmm. Um, get, again, that's like a hard, hard spot as a coach also to know how people are going to respond to that when you, whether they even like elect to have um, measurements as part of their like planning or not. As to like, if someone's really shying away from it, is it that they're like really intuitive and they don't need it? Or is it that they're like very like hypercritical of themselves and are very type A and like really don't want to take that test because they feel like it's just, it's too intimidating or um, is somehow going to like act like an audit of who they are as a climber and is Mm -hmm. like going to be a negative reflection of them, which it's not, never is. It's just a, it's a tool for, again, like you making decisions. It's not a... uh, it's not reflective of your value as a person in any way. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I don't. I think that's worth reiterating over and over <laughs> because a lot of people do get caught in that, and I understand it. You know, there are. I, I regularly remeasure things. You know, after I've gone on hiatus, just working on work projects for six weeks, I'm like, okay, let's check in with a couple of things and just see where I'm at, and then I'll have a slightly more objective place of starting. Um, but I can, you know, if it looks like things are really low in one area, I don't take it personal. You right. know, it's just a, okay, that, let's brush up there a yeah. little bit or it's let's like, climb on some off. smaller holds or, right. you know, let's do some big powerful moves and start to feel snappy again or whatever it is. It's like, this has dropped off. Well, I haven't been training that. Like That makes sense. Not yeah. The end of the world. And when I'm doing these like re-measures for myself, I'm not comparing them against any of our data or our charts or anything. I'm just comparing them against last time I measured, you know, when I was performing well, I know I was relatively around this area and I'm going to measure again and see what needs to come up or what I can stop paying attention to, you know? Right. And for me, that feels like a healthy way to interact with it for someone else that might be totally different. And 
honestly, if you're someone who's like, I don't care what the numbers are. I just want to get better at climbing and they make me anxious, you know, don't do it. There's nothing wrong with that. No. It's like, do you need these things to make, uh, to make decisions? I think we were talking about this a little bit yesterday in terms of like differences between like uh, people who are like inherently intuitive and like kind of know what they're know how to go about like improvement and people who are more like myself or like systems oriented where it's like I really like seeing like numbers and steady progression and Mm -hmm. just knowing where I'm at and neither of those is inherently better than the other they're just different approaches yeah um I, I think that's a huge and as climbing becomes like more and more quantitative there's more and more conversation about um quantifying every aspect of your performance seemingly except for like climbing rocks outside <laughs> well, it's it, it's interesting because we've already created this this like quantif- quantification of climbing you know and it doesn't work well <laughs> it doesn't work well we've tried and tried to come up with a better system and no one can come up with a better system because it's really hard to quantify right um but for some reason, we want to break that down as like fine as possible. Um, and you would just have to have a million different measurements if you're if you're going to try to do that. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I don't think it necessarily like serves the purpose either. Yeah. I mean, climbing is and always has been like such a skill sport, and it always will be. And Yes, and not just physical skill, not just like technique, but also mental skill, um, you know, the skill of having your life in order enough that you can actually get out to the rocks when you need to. You know, there there are so many skills involved in performing well as a rock climber that you you can't measure in a in a really objective way. Right. I, yeah, I 100% agree with that. Even like, I don't know, working on the data side point or data side of it, um, like I think about this stuff all the time. I like seeing it. I like putting my head around it. But like, instead of seeing like a low bar on like my assessment for myself, like I know that the thing that I need to work on most is like outdoor skill, time outside, um, like working things that are hard for me. I've been a weekend warrior for like, my entire time rock climbing so it's like if it doesn't go in like two days it doesn't go and i know that aspect about myself so like a good season i think has been like six trips for me something like that inside Mm -hmm. of like a fall and it's like i know that i'm missing that aspect of getting outside so it's like what's the most important thing that i need to do for my performance i need to climb more rocks like it's yeah again it's that like accurate trying to be like accurate in your self-evaluation and critically thinking through like what your weaknesses are mm-hmm. if you're somebody on the complete flip side and you're always have access to easy access to rocks and you're getting out all the time you've got a pyramid that's two miles wide and like maybe getting more focused on the numbers and quantitative side of it is going to be much more advantageous to that person than it is for me right but it would be interesting to look at our our data and say you know, because I believe we do collect how many days a year outside do you climb? Yeah. Um, take that number and compare it against people who have low finger strength relative to the grade they're climbing or something like that. Um, just to see where the number of days kind of plays in if we can. We, we know that it does. You know, I, right. I've seen a lot of really strong climbers come out of the gym and their first day on 
slippery granite, you know, they're climbing 10 grades below what they do in the gym. <laughs> so I, I'm 100% positive that time outside is a, a huge component of this and number of days climbing doesn't measure it very well, but it's a start in looking at it, I think. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think we'd have to look at it as like how many years have you been climbing times, like how many days you get out, something yeah, like that. Yeah. I know we had looked at it at one time in the beginning of doing like just general data exploration for like how long have you been climbing and how good is that a predictor? Mm-hmm. That's not a good one. It's not a good predictor. No. Not a good predictor. It's like how long, but yeah, not so meaningful. Yeah. Because um, again, it goes back to that like, how do you structure your time? Are you one of those people that like goes out and you just like kill and die for it every day that you're outside? Or like, I don't know, you're there with your buddies and you want to cruise 510 all day. Neither one of those is necessarily bad, but it's just a very different experience. Right. And those people need different like reflection points and training for like what their goals are. Yeah. I personally have been converted to some degree. Like, <laughs> like I was totally against it in the beginning. Um, I'm all for it now. I think it's a really useful tool to have. I think it's, uh, you know, it's something I utilize now uh, and, and really enjoy utilizing with my clients uh, even more than I utilize it with myself. It takes a bit of the guesswork out. Yeah, it takes some of the guesswork out. It, it helps them. It helps with buy-in from the client if they can look back at the last year of their training and they can see that, Okay, I've I've climbed harder outside, but I've also increased these numbers and you know, it's this tangible thing they can hold on to and say, This is increased, this is increased, this is increased. Climbing grades are all over the place. It's really tough to say <laughs> you got better just because you climbed harder grade. For sure. You know? Because there are there are V sevens that have been harder for me than some V tens. So that's was I <laughs> was I a better climber for climbing the ten, or was I a better climber for doing this V seven that felt way harder for me? Right. It's it's really tough to parse it all out like that. Yeah, I I mean I think everybody's looking for everybody's looking for progress and to climb stuff that's new and hard for them, but um, I think that looks different for different people. Also, like some people want to like be the all-time all-rounder who can like climb v7 on any rock type or has like ticked all sorts of classics on all sorts of different types some people have like very singular mindset and are like there's this one v10 that is like it's the end all be all i don't care if i climb like anything harder than v8 other than this thing and it's like yeah it's a completely different game yeah totally we're i was just at tension and we were talking about the you know, the idea of playing the game and what that means and how many different games there are within this one larger sport. Right. You know, and it's it's almost impossible to compare the different games. They require such different things. They're they're nearly different sports in a lot of aspects. For sure. Well any anybody listening uh, who's interested in the data or interested in um, you know inputting their data into the system because I think it makes it more robust for everybody we can all learn more from it it's something we want to be open with and share and you know let other people look at the data and 
pull what they want from it. You know, maybe as this episode goes out, we figure out some easy way to share the data that we have with people. I don't even I don't even know how that works. You know, as far as I know, it's in a giant spreadsheet. I have no idea. Okay, I was gonna say I can either give them a database uh, password for it, or we can send it out via like CSV, something like that. If, okay. if anybody wants access to the data, like also you can just uh, email me, ask me about it. Um, really, like we'll I'll hand it out. There's no secret sauce in having it. Yeah, minus all personal identifiers, of course. But. Yeah, exactly. And if you know if somebody out there is does want access to the data and is looking at it and find something they think is interesting, Share we've it. got we've yeah. got a community forum um, that just started up. It's at community.powercompanyclimbing.com and we would love to hear what you're finding in there or any interesting conclusions you've drawn from looking at the data because the the more we all learn from it the better yeah you know i think that's been our goal from day one is to make this a thing that the whole community can use so all right well most mostly i'm thanking eli here because eli's been the star of this conversation but He's a little sleepy. He's kind of staring at the microphone, though. Yeah, but I'm glad we got to do this. We've been wanting to sit down and kind of talk about these things for a while. So, yeah, thanks, for sure. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, no problem. My pleasure. Thanks to Dale, not only for sitting down for this chat while also doing dad duty, but for bringing the perspective that he does and for being a valuable part of this team. We've recently updated and released the numbers that we generally look for at different levels of climber. And we now have enough women in our data set to separate those numbers by gender. You can check those out, see where your numbers fit on our website. And you can also have Dale run the numbers for you through our mini assessment. It's a great place to start if you're considering training. Links are right there in the show notes in your pocket supercomputers. If you want more from us, consider becoming a patron. For as little as $3, you'll get two bonus episodes every single month. You can learn, grow, and excel with us at powercompanyclimbing.com, where you'll find links to the Power Company Climbing Academy and the Knowledge Plus Community Hub. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Power Company Climbing, but never Twitter, because we don't tweet, we scream like eagles.
Radio Tonario.